episode 101 of the call room it's the friends in your ears who talk about beers those in the zoom room who are looking confused yes you're right episode 100 hasn't come out yet but we've got a few <laughs> little exciting things tucked away if you're listening on the podcast that won't make a lot of sense to you because you already would have heard episode 100 all the more reason to join us live on a Thursday night in the Zoom room when we have some awesome brewers and people associated with breweries to talk with. Tonight, we're going to be talking with our old friends from Bright. Uh, before we get on to that, though, just a couple of very quick housekeeping things from me. Uh, regardless of whether you're in the Zoom room or joining us uh, on the podcast version not only uh, is there or has there been the grand final day with co-conspirators, and make sure you grab your pack for that. It's excellent value. We've got a couple of very, very exciting overseas breweries coming up. Uh, we're pretty lucky we've got access to Mast Landing from the US, who are going to be joining us on Saturday the 2nd in the afternoon, Australian time, and then on October the 7th, we're joined again by old friends from overseas. We've got Weinstefan joining us uh, from Bavaria. Uh, we know from last year, not only are they great fun to have on the show, but the pack is excellent value. We really encourage you to jump onto the Cool Room Shopify store and grab the beers for that. Make sure that you're um, going to be joining us next week when we have Westside Ale Works coming on. And uh, we've already got some great breweries lining up for October. We've got Three Ravens. We've got the return of uh, Burnley. We've got all sorts of all old friends going to be on the show. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on our Facebook and Instagram. So if you're not following us there already and you're not on the mailing list, you're missing out on all of our best news. Um, just like the idea that having Bright on again was big news when we first announced it a month ago. The pack went out a while ago. And now, having sat in my fridge staring at me for a bit, I get to experience the beers. Um, Travis Bristos, let's kick things off, mate. Hello, David. How are we all tonight? Uh, we are joined by Evan from Bright Brewery tonight in the call room. Uh, hopefully everyone has opened their first beer, whether you're in the Zoom room or listening to the podcast at some point after the fact. Um, Ev, welcome back to the, the call room, mate. Thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been a while. You guys are last on episode 69 last year. <laughs> um, it all blurs That's in all one now. a little it's... giggle about that for a moment. Yes. I did laugh this morning when I figured that out. Yeah, that was... Yeah. What, what a number to be to be put on next to it's great yeah. uh, it's probably the most entertaining thing that's happened during the last <laughs> few lockdowns most likely it's um, um anyway we we should move on because we're a pg-rated <laughs> podcast aren't we um i think we try to be a pg-rated podcast absolutely um, we've got a heap of new listeners that have that have come on board since the last time you guys were on so probably the same thing you did last time you're on uh, paint us a bit of a picture of uh, 
Bright and the brewery and where you guys are located. Yeah, okay. So um, uh, where to start? I guess all the way at the beginning would be the best way to go. Uh, so uh, for those who don't know, uh, Bright Brewery is located in the town of Bright. Um, I'm always shocked at the amount of people that get surprised by that fact when they ask where the name come from. It really, yeah, it constantly happens as well. Um, so that's about, Bright's about uh, three and a half, four hours outside of Melbourne um, in the northeast, just below the two of the main ski fields, um, Mount Hotham and Falls Creek. So the brewery was founded back in, uh, well, the business was founded in 05. Uh, the first brewery was done in 06 um, on premises. So we've been running uh, pretty much now for 15 years. We count this year as our 15th anniversary. Um, so for the longest time, uh, we've been operating as a brew pub uh, in Bright, starting as a tin shed with, I think, about four seats at a bar. Um, and it was a bit of a pulley picnic rug up and sit out there and deal with the weather if you want a pint sort of situation. Um, now, pending restrictions, uh, we're a 500-person brew pub. Um, we've got a huge outdoor dining area. Uh, we've also got a production facility in town as well. So we actually have two different brewing sites Um yeah, it's a, a fully family-owned, independently-owned brewery. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's sort of the, the crux of who we are or what we are. Beautiful. Um, I, might, I might be stepping on someone's toes with this next question and might be <laughs> come up later in the thing. But, oh, dear. You, know, you, just, you just mentioned about restrictions. Uh, tell the listeners, uh, what are your restrictions at the moment? Can you actually have people back? So, yeah, the one fortunate thing, I guess, about... Um, the last year and a half uh, for Bright is being uh, regional. Restrictions have come and gone a little bit more for them. Um, although technically Bright's uh, had one extra lockdown. They've had lockdown eight while Melbourne's still lockdown seven. Um, they've come out in and out a few times. Currently we have some pretty ridiculous restrictions. So to give context, we can seat up to 150 people inside um, and then a further 350 on our outside. Um, we're currently restricted to 10 people inside and 20 people outside. Uh, so wow. it's, yeah, it's it's definitely the harshest restrictions we've had so far. Um, it's a very odd site to walk into the restaurant and it'd be technically at capacity and one table's in the middle. Um, but and we're I, hoping in a few weeks. And I've, I mean, I've been, I don't know how many of the listeners out there have actually been up to the brewery, but like your outside area, having that small amount of people in it, and it just, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Like it's... Yeah, our building kind of snakes as well. So we yeah. have, it kind of breaks into three outdoor areas as it goes the whole way around the building. We then also have a block, uh, empty block right next to us, uh, which we own as well, which we use for events. Um, we count that as overflow space as well. So we put tables out there, especially during the summer months when it's busier. So we have this, we have an excess of room, which currently is just completely wasted. Um but I guess beggars can't be choosers with what's going on now. Um, so we're just grateful to be doing something and, you know, only a couple more weeks now, hopefully, and things get easier again. So, Oh, well, most of our, uh, or all of our Melbourne listeners and, and Sydney listeners would be loving to get out to a, to a mm. pub or a brewery at the moment. So um, I reckon it's great to actually hear that people are able to get back out and about and, and uh, get back to some form of normality, even if it is in such, uh, such small groups. Um, I, yeah. I sort of feel I sort of feel like the whole COVID conversation is a bit passe now. I mean, I'm sort of interested to hear, you know, did the glasses rattle yesterday morning? And <laughs> did things fall off shelves? Um, given that Melbourne, where we record, had its biggest ever earthquake yesterday. 
certainly the biggest ever since white settlement, I should say. Did that affect the uh, affect the brewery in any way? I, I haven't heard of uh, of any damage yet. Um, supposedly the the smaller brew site, um, the team thought someone had run a forklift into one of the walls, um, and then uh, the other brew site with the actual the main uh, production facility. A couple of the brewers were up on the brew deck, um, and they said it got a bit shaky for a while, and the tanks gave a good wobble. Um, so thankfully, no one went down with it. Um, but it's quite funny because I think we were meant to be canning at that stage and we got delayed for about an hour. So I wouldn't have wanted to be on the canning line with an earthquake going. I don't think that would have worked out well. No, absolutely. The chimney fell off the house over the road from us, which caused oh, Jesus. great excitement in the in the street. <laughs> there you go. Um, and no one helped. You, you up there, Evan, were a lot closer to the epicentre in Bright than... Uh than anyone else. I mean, we kind of just got shaken. If I guess if uh, that Mansfield area, it would have been a completely different scenario. Well, I'm actually, I'm, so I'm currently in Melbourne heading back up to Bright next week. So I experienced the Melbourne this version of it. I know. I you get I, to I, travel. It's, yeah, it's not, as, it's not as pleasurable as it seems. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, from all accords, I don't think they uh, they felt it any differently. I assume they all were probably still drunk from the fact they can get um, beers on tap from the night before, so they just thought it was every other morning. Well, my, my townhouse definitely shook from side to side. It, um, it was an interesting feeling. I'll give it that. Um, <laughs> we should move on from, uh, from COVID and earthquakes and natural disasters caused by Dan Andrews and talk about <laughs> the beer. Um, we we are starting this this night with the aviation cocktail sour. Uh, you you teamed up with some guys at a distillery up up that way for this beer. Can you can you tell us a bit about how all that came about? Yeah, so um, this beer aviation uh, was actually our dabs beer uh, for 2021. So this is the second run of it. Um, you can't, it's sort of an embargo, obviously, between the dabs festivals and then releasing it afterwards. So this came out couple of months after um as a proper commercial release but uh i can't believe we're talking about good beer week and gabs like it actually happened geez that feels like another world ago um yeah. so obviously every year when it comes to gabs uh brewers unfortunately have to take off their german purity law caps um and figure <laughs> out how they're going to be willy wonka so we started talking about uh what we were going to bring to the table for gabs this year and our brewer had uh, had been obviously drinking a lot of cocktails at Reading Co., which is a distillery in Bright, um, who have become quite famous for their aviation or their take on aviation. And he pitched it to us and said that um, he felt like the the gin botanicals that come from that cocktail um, would work really well in a sour, but was also, I think we flagged that the idea of a, a cool coloured beer would make us different this year at Gabs. And I don't know if anyone went to Gabs this year, but it's a real hive mind situation for craft beer seemingly because... I think 70% of the beers were different colours this year, um, proving there's no more originality in this in this industry. Um, but, yeah, what we want to do is we want to pay uh, homage to the cocktail. Um, it was going it, to... It's extended a series that we've slowly started bringing out, which is um, a cocktail series. This is the second one in a lot. The first one was penicillin. Um, I don't know if anyone had penicillin. It's easily our most divisive beer we've ever brewed. Um, a whiskey barrel-aged lemon ginger honey sour um, between the fact that a lot of people thought we actually brewed it with penicillin um, <laughs> and just 
just a real weird flavor profile. It's my um, it's my favorite product to look on Untapped because we either get you know the lowest score physically possible or we get five stars. It's the most. There's no in between. Um, so yeah, this was an extension. Aviation was extension of that I, I, series. I can see our I can see our untapped gnome, uh, Damien, typing away there and getting some research for us. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, he's going to give us a little bit of an update. I'm sure in the chat. Make sure you have it open if you're in the Zoom room with us uh, right. about what the average rating is, and he might have been able to tell us how many one and five stars. So I can <laughs> see him typing away there furiously. What a what an excellent gnome he's been for us in the last couple of weeks. I, I had a couple of the cans of the penicillin in my fridge at one point and uh, my 13-year-old son uh, saw one in the fridge and actually questioned on if it had actually been made with penicillin. So it's... We got, like I guess, it, it's a somewhat an obscure cocktail for those who aren't in the cocktail scene. Um, I had I knew of it, but I never drank one. Uh, so for me, I... When it was pitched to me, I was like, yeah, sure, do it. Didn't really think much of it. It was a really small release. Um, it's actually the smallest release we've done of any limited and in turn has become the most polarising one. I mean, the amount of beer groups that I saw in other states where we sent it that were just like, if this is Bright Brewery, I don't want to drink it. And we're like, oh, God, we probably shouldn't have launched into Queensland for the first time with this one beer. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. But the amount of people that were messaging us and asking is there penicillin in this? How dare you? I'm allergic. This is so dangerous and it's shocking. It's quite amazing to think that that's where people's minds went when looking at a beer can. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I actually think I've still got a can of it in the fridge, which I might pull out after we, uh, we finish the recording tonight and see how it tastes. Um, <laughs> it's also really weird that the, the Venn diagram for beer drinkers and cocktail drinkers doesn't overlap that much like if you like if you talk to a cocktail someone who's been to a cocktail bar in the last 15 years they would have had they would have had a penicillin they're they're really tasty yeah i thought the beer was really good by the way that was the voice of uh warren Wu that we're hearing there (laughs) i actually didn't even know that warren was in the room yet but um um not sure what time warren got here but uh, um Everyone yeah, else can tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in the in the taste of this. So let's do something a little bit different and get our takes on it before we get to Evan and on what we should be tasting. Uh, <laughs> let's start with David. Well, first of all, and I'm looking at the Zoom room and I'm looking at uh, Muggs's little screen there and I'm seeing the colour and I know you sort of quickly passed by the, the colour of the beer before and sort of implied that everyone was doing fun colours. But golly, if you're not drinking this out of the glass and if you're not sort of taking the opportunity to hold it up to some white light or against a white piece of paper or something, do so because the colour is fantastic. And that's you know one yeah. of the things that makes an aviation cocktail fun. And you know, there's a reason why people do spend time getting the colour of things right because it sets the scene a little bit. And, um, and I know that there is violet and so forth in there, but for me, those are some of the flavours that are coming through and it's just a really nice, uh, refreshing way to start the night. I know it's a sour. It doesn't hit me in the same way that some of those big sours that we've had along the way. It's just a really nice uh, palate cleanser after a few of the other sort of pails and even the smoky beer uh, that we had, the smoko was the one that I had before we sort of started the formal bit. Um, but this is really refreshing the palate really nicely after that. I just uh, saw, sorry, um, 
Muggs is on there. He's made a comment about changing colour. So before you get too low, if you do want to do the experiment or you've done the can of it, um, because this the colour comes from uh, pea blossom, uh, it actually changes with the pH. So if you get a lemon or a lime and you give it a little squeeze in there, you'll actually see the colour change from purple to pink. Um, so depending on the level of acidity, well, actually the lighter the colour will get. Oh. I was I was going to ask that question because it's quite an interesting thing to do with with gins of this type. Um, my partner Lauren had a, had some gin that did this exact same thing that we tried in Tassie, and it actually is really cool to do if you if you ha- do have that lemon sitting around. I I, I kind of feel like it's actually not as sour as I thought it was going to be. There's that mm. tartness to it, but it's pretty light and refreshing at the same time. So it doesn't have that massive sour hit like David said that we've had on before with some of the uh, the other beers we have and the colour, it's just, no. I mean, out of all the coloured beers I had at Gab's, um, this would have been up there. So uh, I can't <laughs> actually, to be honest with you, I can't actually remember any any of the other coloured beers I had at Gab's. I had that much beer at Gab's. So um, you've done a good job on this one. Ev, what are your thoughts on it? Where, where do you sit with it all? So um, what I like about it is, as I think a few of you have pointed out already, is it's not an overly tart sour. So, you know, obviously trying to mimic the flavours um, of the cocktail, the two things that sort of stand out to me, um, it, it did have a bit more of a cherry taste to it, I thought, initially, and that's kind of tapered back a little bit now. It's the lemon flavour that comes through a lot more for me, and I think what you get is a more zingy tartness and a real sourness. Um, so you're not getting on those real, like, sucking on a lemon flavors but it's just kind of got that nice um element of it and i guess what we were looking for is as much as you're looking with a gab's beer to do something crazy and something to punch you in the face and be memorable um our brewer at some point wanted to actually have some integrity and he was like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna balance it and i'm gonna do it the right way and i think that's what sort of shines through on this so from this we do a lot of sours it's, it's definitely become um for us a bit of a program we'll probably pump out a sour every six weeks or so at this point um, this is the most refined and probably the balanced and lightest one that we've done. So I really enjoy it. Um, Jacob in our Zoom room asked a interesting question. Uh, mm-hmm. Does it have lactose in it? His thought is it tastes a bit like a dessert salad. So as far as I'm aware, no. We, um, we'll always sort of print it as lactose on there. We're, um, our brewer is vegan, so I, I assume that he's going to really want that labelled. Um, but no, so I think the sweetness you get from that is I think pea blossom has a, a level of sweetness to it as well. Um, I think some of that cherry flavour might come through. Um, yeah, it's also the botanicals. So I'm, I'm, I think because it's not an overly punchy sour, it's not a really high acidity sour, it gets that level of sweetness. But I don't think it's in the line of um, like a dessert sour. It might come from like Mr. Banks, which um, like a lot of people have tried. I think they're very desserty, where this kind of is a little bit more minimal on that side. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. That's, um, that's a good explanation. I want to know more about the vegan brewer. Does that... <laughs> Does that hinder things a bit in relation to brews? Uh, no, not really. I mean, we don't – I don't think there's ever really anything outside of lactose that we add that sort of crosses that threshold for him. Um, oh, when yeah, you like chicken beer. No, I mean, I make the joke about making a gravy beer one day a lot. Um, he's never really seemed too keen on that. Uh, I- I've made a gravy beer. How was it? Uh, it was revolting. I don't know whether <laughs> my good friend Count Jim Thais Moriarty is in the room or not, but uh, we made a gravy egg and orange beer. It was a medieval recipe, and it is truly 
truly the worst thing I've ever smelt in this life. You, you could do, like, there would be ways of doing gravy beer, but you didn't need, why the orange juice? What the yeah, hell? Yeah, that seems like a really terrible oh, no, combo. No, it hmm. was an orange stuffed into the, so it was like a you know, proper medieval, you know, yeah. sort of meat and fruit and spices. And um, for those that know Owen, who comes into the Zoom room from time to time, uh, Owen was the one who drank it because no one else in the, <laughs> in the household was willing to have a crack. Like, uh, in my I, head, maybe like a porter, like a beefy port, like, yeah, I don't know, like a salty, <laughs> beefy porter. I, I feel like this yeah, is gravy whole, goes. This, this discussion's a whole other episode. We could have an entire episode on beers that uh, David has brewed that well, he will never brew again. Um, <laughs> this is an interesting question. This beer has the longest list of adjuncts ever. Um, how many hops, malts? Give us a rundown. And does it affect the price of the beer? So in terms of the pricing, it definitely does. Um this goes back to, so um, I'll probably give Reading Co. a little bit more of a shout out as well. So yes. Reading Co., the local distillery in Bright, um, who we partnered up with this, we based this off their version of Aviation Cocktail, which uses their um, flagship gin, Remedy Gin, which is the name of it. If everybody hasn't tried it before, it's awesome. Um, and they just have a laundry list of ingredients in it. Like it's, I, I, I know a couple of distillers um, and I don't think any of them put that many in it's just ridiculous uh so you know the fortunate thing for us on this was that um they had all that they had access to all of it so we weren't sourcing it and we could get it in the amounts that we needed but it definitely um it definitely the price ups you know a little bit um luckily this is a collaboration beer so we probably made a bit of a deal with them to be honest with you um but typically if we were to release this on our own just mimicking that recipe and those ingredients yeah you'd see it pop up um but working with someone locally who already had it wasn't too big of a deal, I don't think. Was there ever a point uh, in relation to the price bracket where you went, it's it's getting to a point where it's too much? Did you ever go through the discussion of what you could lose to keep it in a better price bracket? Or So I can uh, preface this by saying we've never had that conversation. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely something we should at times have. Um <laughs> You know, uh, luckily, the way that we operate as a team, um, you know, uh, production, wholesale and marketing, there's, there's, you know, a head of each division and we all work together to try and uh, build our, our limited release portfolio together. So we try and make it make sense for all departments and it's a, a real collaborative environment. Um, in doing that, obviously, we ask things of the brewer that might be a little bit more on the sort of hype style, craft beer sort of driven products. You know, he, if it left to him, we'd be doing a lot of pills and roush beers and, you know, things that maybe aren't the most in trend. Um, so with that, I sort of like say, listen, if you've got to go and make something, make it your way. Um, we're fortunate that, you know, I think we haven't really hit that point where people have gone, no, 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 that's too much. Um, you know, he's, he's got it in his mind, but I, there's definitely been a couple of times where over the past year we've brewed some really big uh, IPAs. We did an um, Imperial Nipa, I think back in February, um, which caused a bit of a stir at the brewery because uh, it was the most expensive keg the brewery had ever tapped. Um, and when they did the costings on it, it was like $25 a pint. And in Bright or regional Victoria, it's a really expensive pint. <laughs> um, so we've, we've, we've kind of gone back a little bit since then, but I, I, I'd rather release a product that um, is as good as it can be and be a couple of dollars more and have that focus on quality than 
pull it back just for the sake of saving a few dollars. I think our customers that we serve now, consumers that are after it, are willing to pay for quality and they'll see through it if it's not. Um, so that's sort of our prerogative on things. I felt like David was going to wanted to chime in there, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're absolutely kind of right, Trav. I was, I was going to ask, like, not only was it the most expensive keg you've ever tapped, but, you know, how long did you want to sort of have it, you know, sitting around once you'd opened it? Surely with the Nipah as well, you'd be going, you know, we've got to get rid of it this weekend and the $25 <laughs> plus price tag doesn't necessarily help with moving beer fast. Yeah, so... Um... For us, with our hoppy beers, um, we go down the route of actually having much shorter date codes as well. So if you ever get a can from us, you'll see anything that's hop-driven is always uh, the smaller bracket, and we're always trying to bring that in as far as we can um, because it's about freshness, it's about that quality, and it's a, our, our head brewer, Reed, um, is very stringent on that. You know, we only try and brew as much as we need of our hoppy stuff to get us to the next level of when we need to brew it again, if it's a core range or what it might be. So we're not having old beers sit around. Um, I guess the fortunate thing about that beer coming out was uh, it was during that really beautiful time in Melbourne where COVID didn't seem to exist for about 80 days and everyone decided that regional Victoria was the place to be. So uh, the venue itself just sort of was able to punch through it uh, fairly quickly. But, you know, from my personal belief as well, um, what, and what we've noticed a little bit, the Nipahs, uh that we've brewed or that we've seen in market I actually think open up a lot better over the course of time. I think the, like, I don't think freshness is best with the Nipah anymore. And I, you know, this might be a whole other podcast thing, but I grew up in a wine industry where bottle shock was a really big thing. When you bottled wine, you left it, you came back to it, you let it breathe. I think in beer, we've sort of been trained to off the canning line, crack it. That's the best it's going to be. Um, but from what I've seen, I think flavors develop over time and Nipahs in particular, I think once they sort of have that time to settle into themselves and, drop down a little bit and calm down, you actually get a better quality product. Um, we did an oat cream Nipah last year that I swore like six weeks later was perfect. It was absolutely, anyone that would listen to me, I was forcing to drink. We were, we were going to have a chat about Dectros, but um, I mean, we've had our controversy now for tonight, so I'm not sure we need to do <laughs> that, but, but we will. Um, we, we spoke about this last week with Exit as well. Um, how do you guys sit with it? Do you get any negative feedback that it was included in the ingredients list? No, nothing. Um, to be honest with you, until this conversation, it's the first time it's come up. Um, so I don't know if it's just the case of the fact that we haven't done beers or a lot of beers with that in it. So we haven't sort of got this lineage now of products that where it comes in. Um, I also think you you get that little gabs bubble where there's a little bit of forgiveness if you yeah. go a little bit further. You know, maybe if we were doing it uh, with a couple of releases throughout the year, it might change opinions. Um, but honestly, yeah, this is the first time this question has been brought to me. I'd, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what, you know, people's feelings are about it in general. I haven't really looked into the matter, so. <laughs> um, we are going to start thinking about moving on to the Black Diamond. Um, I don't know how everyone else is sitting with this, but it's it's almost gone in my glass. So I think that's a that's a pretty good time to... To move on to the next beer, I'm going to hand the reins over to Mr. Warren Wu. Open my can of Black Diamond and uh, and let him take it from there. Over to you, Warren. Thanks, Travis. First question: We got it on social media, so we're just going to open the batting with it. 
why isn't this a core beer? Black IPA is uh, one of the, I think I was a divisive a lot recently in this, in at least the last like 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> super divisive style, man. Like I personally love them. And this beer is an annual release for us. Um, I foresee it being an annual f- release for quite some time, but it's just a really strange one. I think there's a demographic that love it. And then it's just one of those styles that people struggle to get behind. I feel there was probably like a, a, a summer, I guess, if you want to say a couple of years ago where everyone had black IPAs and it was just that trendy beer for a while. And then it's dropped off. And I, I feel like we see less of them now. But yeah, as a core range product, man, I, I'd love to see it all the time. I just reckon I'd be scared to death as a salesperson trying to flog it. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. So, so... As a salesperson flogging it, is that that I can't get everyone to, to stock this all the time? Like you can't get someone that, like at least X percent of your guys to, to put it on the Listen, shelf. I think if we were core range, we um we definitely could um get you know everyday customers on it. I just think it'd be definitely a challenge. I still think we have a little while to go in terms of core range IPAs anyway in the country getting to that level. There's definitely some out there and there's some breweries that have Core range IPAs will do quite well, but it's it is one of the weirder ones in the range where it's the more discerning consumers that are still drinking them. You know, my theory on that sort of goes that the American like American market loves it, but they also have higher blood alcohol rating uh, than mm. we do for driving. So I think there's more acceptability on that end. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has been to the states the past couple of years. I was fortunate to go just before this shit storm happened uh, last year, and I noticed a distinct lack of pale ales. And my theory, I guess, was they don't need that four to five percent beer because it doesn't fit the structure of their drinking where IPA does where I think here we still haven't got there yet so I think there's always a little bit of characteristic and for us as well um we already have a, a west coast IPA in our range which I highlight to be our best beer so I don't think I'd want to take anything away from my favorite product <laughs> yeah that's a good call yeah that's a yeah. really good call um I'm not to I'm gonna jump the gun I'm I finished the black IPA because <laughs> It's uh, it went and it's delicious. Like it is it's so good. Most black IPAs, you know, it doesn't have as much of that ashy character as a lot of the darker beers do, or, or not to the same extent. In a nice balanced way, and I think it makes it really drinkable. Um, but so so as an as like a, a national sales manager, like as as the guy who has to push all these beers out, um, yeah. where where's the balance between? range and the core range and and you know there must be so many factors that go into that so there's the production side and and your side of of getting them around what what's the yeah is there a formula how do you how do you calculate that so we definitely um especially the past sort of 12 to 18 months i guess every brewery's felt a real shift in what uh the market's doing and it's become more difficult to ascertain sort of where you want to be for us, we look at it as our core range is the very the easy drinking, the everyday, the real standard sort of product, the fridge filler. So it's, you know, the go-to pale, the go-to lager, the go-to amber. Um, you know, they're more traditional in style. They're not as hype-driven, so we haven't got, you know, like a hazy pale or um, something like sort of more off-skew in, that, in our range. It's, it's very classic to what Bright Brewery, in a sense, has been for quite some time and, um We've shifted slightly over the past uh, 12 months. You know, our core range used to be a bit crazy. I think we're the only 
the, probably the only brewery ever uh, to have a core range uh, Belgian double, um, which, you know, Apart real from interesting. A brewery in Belgium. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a real, real strange one. Um, it sold, uh, but definitely one of the weirder ones. So we've now moved that to be a, a sort of a, what we consider a core seasonal. Um, we've shifted out our wheat beer to be sort of a, uh, a core seasonal too that comes into the summer because wheat beers have been on the decline for a few years. And since then, we've sort of bumped up our IPA to core range, which used to be seasonal. So we've, we've done a little shift. Um, when it comes to the, uh, the limited release, We've definitely ramped up over the past 18 months. COVID has sort of forced that upon us in a lot of ways. I called last year, you know, the year of um, sort of uh, virtual living because you were just looking for something else all the time. So I think all the specialty stuff, everyone just wanted to get what they could. So we started punching out a lot more of that. As we sort of come in and out of restrictions, we've got an idea now of what the market's after. So our current methodology is we do two limited releases every month. Um, they're more hype driven. We try and do them to the season. Um, yeah, that's sort of what we think on that as well. But it's it's a very collaborative environment. So, you know, the brewers sort of come to us and say, here's 15 beers we want to brew. And we go through it and we go, yep, yep. Okay, nobody wants that. Um, do not brew that. That is a terrible concept. Um, maybe do that what's, at home. What's that beer? No, no, you definitely have to tell, tell me what's the one... Just, just an example of one where you've just gone, nah. That, We've got, we, we did a lavender black saison. Um, oh, okay. A couple of years ago, which, you know, still is the penance. If, it, if you find a bottle and someone's annoying you, they have to drink it. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's, yeah, yeah. So we, we just we decided not to do that product ever again. Um, mm. But what we tried to do, I guess, is be a bit smarter. We plan six months ahead at each time. Um, we leave a little room for wiggle um, for things to come in. You know, there's always a chance that um, something will pop up. Uh, we've got a beer coming out in, I think, three weeks, which is with a really experimental hop that our brewery was approached about, I think, two months ago. We didn't know it existed. They wanted to give us an opportunity to use it first. And we were like, great, we'll factor that in. So we, we do a little bit of rearrangement on that so we can get we can make it work, but we do try and be a little bit more regimented with it so mm. you know you're not seeing imperial stouts come out in january and you're not seeing you know berliner vices coming out in the dead of august it's funny because because i have three general rules uh mm. when it comes to what we can and can't brew which we've literally broken uh each time all of them the past six weeks so <laughs> i i have no smoke no chili no wheat and uh, we've just done a rash beer which you've all got um yeah. Yeah. We just did a choc chili beer, uh, which did extremely well, and our wheat beer is uh, getting canned in three weeks. Um, <laughs> so I definitely lost those wars. I'm trying to think. There I was like one the fact you lose the wars, though. That's really cool that, yeah, yeah, it's like we can't sell that, but here it is, and, oh, we sold it. It's like there's something very, yeah, honest. The rash beer that you guys have got there, Smoko, um, that came in the pack, so... That's a long-term uh, beer for us. We've been doing that, I think, for the better part of a decade. Um, it's our owner, Scott. It's, you know, it's his baby. He loves that beer. I joke that we brew it just for him, really. So last year, we didn't do it because of the lockdowns. This year, there was a bit of pressure on the brewer that he said, I'm going to do it. And I said, great, make it a really small release. Let's go minimum run. Let's just service the locals. It's named after a town that's 10 minutes out of Bright. And then it sold out in a day. Um, and I had to eat my hat. So... <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like this is kind of a, 
answered one of the audience questions that we had on the social media as well. So I just want to shout out to Jennifer Bismeyer, uh, who asked a question on the Instagrams about what white whales do you think the brewery wants to brew? I think this one's kind of answered that one, but um, yeah. thanks for you submitting your question, Jennifer. Much appreciated. We've definitely got a couple of, um, I think there's some long-term sort of crazy ideas. For us, I definitely think... Uh, We'd love to do a lot more barrel stuff and it's, it's definitely things that we're working on now. Um, so we've had a, a barrel series come through. We, I think we've done five or six now uh, different barrels, um, but it's been about expanding that program. So we were looking into it a lot last year. There was a lot of difficulties getting the right barrels across um, what we're looking at from the States. Um, but yeah, I think what you'll probably see is, you know, a lot of aged sours, a lot of aged stouts, um, we started sort of dabbling a little bit more in the distilling space as well. So we released a um, Russian Imperial Stout whiskey just before Father's Day. Um, and we're looking at doing a few more things like that as well. So they're probably my white whales, I guess. That makes sense. And while I've sort of half got the microphone, um, Mark in the Zoom room chat was pointed out about the can design on this one, which I think just looks fantastic. And it's a, well, he said a ye olde arty litho, litho etching style. Um, <laughs> it looks fantastic. It's a really distinctive looking can. Yeah, awesome. It's actually um, it's so it, it's inspired uh, some transition into some new branding for us as well. So uh, Black Diamond, uh, named after the the ski runs of the, the same sort of nature. Um, what we wanted to do with this one was uh, we we released this last year in can, but because of the time frame, I think we we had it ready to go in keg and bottle and then lockdowns were coming and we're like, let's get out of bottles. Let's can. We had to turn around a label really quick. Um, we got out like a nice label, but nothing that we're really proud of. So we wanted to put a bit of time into this one. And what we wanted to do was, I guess, highlight that we're a mountain brand and a lot of what we do. Our tagline is mountain crafted. Um, we are situated within the mountains. So we have a local designer in Bright who does predominantly core range and a couple of our more, I guess, um, higher end products he does a bit more of the delicate uh, fine line work and this was his one he's a mad skier uh, what you'll find is uh over time our core range will start developing into a slightly similar aesthetic uh, if you go out now and you'll see our staircase porter which we've just come out with recently in cans um that's more of where we're actually headed as well so i really love this can um, and what it's done is it, i guess it's inspired a bit of a, a shift for us but we, we definitely put a lot of effort into the artwork. Um, there is a lot of a lot of messages that go about artwork. Uh, we've really, it's probably uh, my poor marketing manager who I'll give a shout out to, Laura. Um, I must do her head in um, about minor tweaks and color changes. Um, if you look at our limited range, uh, we've been working with Pocket Beagles. So Clint, who does a lot of stuff in the industry, um, the poor guy has me on Facebook and even like an hour ago, I was busting his balls about some minor changes to some cans coming up. So we put a lot of effort into our designs. Yeah. And it shows. I like the fact that it's a little bit, this one, yeah, there's a ski kind of thing going on, but it's a little bit metal too. And black mm -hmm. IPAs always seem a little bit metal to me. Like if you're going to, if you're going to pick a, a beer for like the metal scene, it's a black IPA. Like Metallica, Warren? Like maybe Metallica. <laughs> maybe maybe a cancelled Metallica tour where, where who had was it? Someone had a sore throat. 
Oh no, someone oh back into back into rehab. I, I don't I don't think that we need to go too far anyway, into that no, story because I feel like there's probably <laughs> trivia questions next month that uh, might coincide with that story. Um, um but uh Evan does need to answer this very important question, which we mm-hmm. present to all of our guests. Have you yeah, uh, let's 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 just throw it in there. So what is the most confronting, strange, amusing, hair raising dirtiest funniest smelliest thing you've seen in a core so i i had a thought about this um i thought i thought about sorry um and i came up with two answers so one dates back to about um i think about 10 11 years ago uh back when i was still working in restaurants and fortunately now this restaurant's closed um not for health and safety viol- um, violations but you could probably see them coming um it was just one of those really hot summers. And uh, I remember walking in with this really tiny cool room. It was the end of service and um, opening the door, I think just get some limes or something to, to start prepping for the next day. And there was just a sous chef just in his jocks, just sitting on a tub of mayonnaise, oh. just just hot and sweaty, just trying to cool down. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't a good sight. Uh, I think he passed in the limes and I got out of there pretty quickly. Um but yeah, that was pretty gross. The other one that I was thinking of uh, happened this year, which is in, it's sort of in the cool room. Um, so back in April, I actually got married at the brewery in Bright. Um, oh, did it during, thank you, did it on a Thursday during school, school holidays, which was a terrible idea because it's just the busiest time ever. Um, and the kitchen already hated me. Um, but part of our celebration was uh, we're getting married on the Thursday, the day after we were doing a big pig on the spit for all our guests that had come up for the weekend. Um, so on the morning of my wedding, I had to go to the brewery to get uh, a 25 kilo pig that I'd had in the cool room um, and bring it back to the house, to prepare for the next day. Dr- my mate drove me down there, go into the cool room, open it up, grab this big pig, look around, can't find him, um, walk out to go find where he is. He's just disappeared. And then he basically left me out the front of the brewery for about, probably about 10 minutes as the pig just got warmer and warmer and blood just started seeping out of the pig. And we've got all these guests just walking into the brewery and I'm just standing there with a, a dead pig oh. in my arms, just bleeding on the ground, <laughs> just apologising. So That's great. Yeah. That is, yeah. That's... I didn't expect that on my wedding morning, uh, but it was definitely a good story. <laughs> That's that that has so many great elements to it. It's it's just like dead animal, cool room, groom, like you know, ah. Oh. Um, I think on that note, we are going to take a quick short break. Yep. We are gonna come back uh and talk about the Cadbury beer. I was trying to say that so it didn't sound Cadbury? like I actually said Cadbury. Cadbury. Um Cabaret. We can. We've actually got the designer in house as well. So, um, perfect. Yeah. Um, he, he, maybe he can make a comment about um, or us almost getting sued for it because of I him. reckon. Yeah. I, <laughs> given I his previous see. comments on the matter, that's going to be He's, really uh, fun to come back to after we have a break. Well, welcome back, everyone. You're in the cool room. We're here with uh, Evan from Bright, and we're about to make a start on the Cadbury White Stout. Um, 
if you are if you're not in the Zoom room, then you miss out on the little intermissions that we have here, and you missed out on a conversation about the uh, the latest video arcade opening next to a caravan park in Shepparton. <laughs> and um, I'm a North Bendigo boy, proudly so, but I've got to say I was taken back to a very special spot in the mid-80s there for a few moments when we were discussing caravan parks and video arcades. Um, back in those days, I used to love me some Cadbury uh, chocolates. Let's have a little chat about White Stout, Evan, um, you tell us a little bit about the style generally before we have this one. It might be one that people haven't had before. Yeah, so um, uh, it's a it's a real like random style. I feel like a couple of breweries have obviously come out with the past couple of years, but basically it's uh, it's all about magic and trickery. So conceptually, uh, you you look at it and you go, "That's a pale ale," and then you taste it, and it tastes like a stout. That's that's the real uh, the basis of it. So. Yeah, it's mimicking the flavours of a, of a dark beer, but with the visual uh, identification of a light beer. Absolutely right. And I guess, you know, people have got it in their glasses, hopefully, again, drinking it from a glass, because if you're not, then you don't appreciate the magic and jiggery-pokery uh, that's <laughs> going on here. Um, tell us about the flavours, and can you tell us a little bit about how they arrived at? How do they, how do they get into our glasses? Yeah, so... Um... Obviously, once you read the can, Cad Brewery, um, you're going to get the uh, obvious uh, homage to chocolate and uh, Cadbury chocolate. So this is actually meant to mimic uh, caramel, the weird caramelised white chocolate that took the world by storm a couple of years back. So uh, it was actually conceived by the Hop Supply Co., um, which are a bottle shop out in Bendigo, David. Yes, um, well noted. A nice, a nice little shout out. So uh, this was uh, it was for an event that was meant to happen this year. COVID obviously did not allow that. Um, and fortunately, because of that, we decided to give it a, a wider wholesale release. So the idea is basically yeah, a, a white stout mimicking the flavours of caramel chocolate. So bringing in flavours of, uh, you know, sweet caramel, a bit of vanilla. We used actual vanilla and cacao beans in there as well to get a bit of chocolateness. So we didn't want it to be roasty. Um, caramel chocolate in itself isn't a dark chocolate or a milk chocolate. It's obviously a white chocolate. So it's probably why you notice on this versus other beers that sort of have that chocolate tagline that it isn't, um, it hasn't got the dark roast sort of flavour. It hasn't got um, that, yeah, that classic chocolate flavour. This is a lot more sort of vanilla and caramel um, more so. So, yeah. Um, we were hoping we might have the can designer uh, <laughs> in the room with us for a little chat. He pops in and out from time to time, and he's he's given us opinions before on, for instance, the uh, the labelling of the Milo beer, which ran into some strife. Yeah. Um, we sort of asked a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, how do you go about doing a collab with someone like Cadbury, who uh, <laughs> you may or may not even wish to acknowledge uh, as inspiration for the can. But um, do you have your heart in your mouth a little bit when a can that looks like this goes out and, you know, tell us a little bit about that sort of process. Listen, um, this is the the only beer, definitely a bright brewery we've ever done that's gotten close to any form of, uh, of copyright infringement or sort of IP trademarking that um, I can Wagon remember wheel? anyway. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, there yes, you go. You sorry, sorry. I just, I was, I was, this little, it's not COVID. I've got a little 
thing in my throat where I say wagon wheel from time to time for no obvious reason. <laughs> no, you got me. I completely forgot about wagon wheel. There you go. So I was like, going to say the same thing. There you go. Even in the conversations about this, I think we all forgot about wagon wheel. There you go. Um, <laughs> no, so with this, yeah, I, well, we did that twice. <laughs> uh, so I guess the theory behind these is um, you sort of, you're paying homage. Let's, let's put it that way. You, you, you get a little line there. You sort of know if, if we cross the boundary and, and Capri's not too happy about it, then, you know, their lawyers will contact us and we'll be told that it's, uh, please don't do that again. And, you know, we'll evidently oblige to that because we're really good people. Um, but in, in essence, this beer, as I said before, it was for an event. So initially it wasn't going to get a proper release. So when we first approached Clint, uh, who was our designer um, for a lot of our limiteds, sort of said, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, this is what we're thinking. We need uh, a product. Uh, we need a label that's, you know, it, it, it does pay homage. Like we, we felt like we'd be more comfortable doing that, especially on a tap depot versus sort of a can. Um, and what he did is he took um, a lot of inspiration from the original Caramilk, which was a caramel chocolate, um, but from Canada in the 1970s. And we thought, well, that's, that's good because that's not, the exact ripoff. It's close enough, but it's not. Um, so we can probably get away with that. And then, uh, you know, he got a bit cheeky and decided to use a very similar font um, for the Cadbury tagline. Initially, this can did have the words, please don't sue us um, on it. Um, but at the last minute, I believe they were taken off. Much to my dismay, um, you know, I, I think Clinton, our marketing manager, felt that it might... Uh, it might instigate a suing rather than um, stop it. So we didn't want to sort of poke the bear. But no, uh, it, this this one, you, you put your heart in your throat, your heart in your throat a little bit, but we felt pretty comfortable with it. We sort of knew that if um, it's a one-time release, we don't plan on doing it again. Ironically, Hop Supply Co., who are the collaboration partner for this one, um, they did take the bulk of the very small amount of this and notified me last Friday that it had been pulled from their Shopify account for copyright infringement. <laughs> so they had been notified. Um, luckily they'd sold through a majority of the stocks. So they were like, well, it's already good. We're, we're pretty happy now. So. Um, that's, that's fantastic on any number of levels. And um, to, I've got to say to the three or four people who have messaged me saying, do we now know what the trivia question uh, that arises out of tonight's episode? Uh, yeah, I think you've probably got a pretty good hint as to um, which beer that's been on the podcast lately had the tagline, please don't sue us. Uh, yeah, look out for that one when we do trivia in a few oh, weeks' time. sorry. My friends. No, 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 no. That's, we, that's fantastic. People, people have to listen to the podcast to get that clue. <laughs> I'm I'm curious if David, you've received the same uh, comment on your Shopify store that you can't sell this beer in a pack anymore. Uh, well, I've got cleverer and cleverer with how I've been dealing with Shopify. It's Facebook that keeps on banning what I do. <laughs> I, I don't mean me personally. <laughs> they they have repeatedly let me put up posts, and then when I go to boost them, say that I violate their rules uh, as a as a business, and I'm um, taken away after they've charged me the money. So. Anyway, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening, I know you do. Uh, we're coming after you, mate. I, uh, I, I can see there that uh, one of the questions in the, uh, the chat is that it's off. Uh, someone mentioned it's not even on the Bright website. Um, we made such a small amount of this beer. Like, David, the, the timing of this is really good to get it in the pack. 
because uh, I think you got the last like two cartons that we had. Um, but there was so little of this that initially, uh, normally everything the brewery gets an allocation of, no one at the brewery gets an allocation of this. Um, so I took all of the stock to the point where the owner, Scott, called me on Tuesday and said, that's the only beer that's ever left this brewery that I've never tried. Can you please go buy me a four pack? <laughs> what did you, hang on. You can't let the story in there. What did you say? Did you say yes or did you say a more direct no? I, 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 no, I, well, initially he said, can I have some of yours? Because um, everyone's very aware that my sample stock definitely ends up in my fridge. Um, I said, I didn't get samples of this one, uh, but I did manage to find him four, um, which one of them I'm drinking for tonight's podcast. <laughs> Perfect. So he got three. <laughs> yeah, technically. Now, we, we've sort of alluded to it along the way in the discussion about, well, things like the wagon wheel, but there's a much sort of broader range of, I guess we touched on earlier, sort of dessert beers of which mm-hmm. fits in. You guys have a, a very now well-founded reputation for producing some excellent versions of that. How mm-hmm. do you find they go in the market? Is it easier for you, do you think, to sell them given that you've had successes in the past or, you know, are people receptive to them, particularly, you know, I guess as we sort of head towards summer in Australia? So um, typically what we do, and this is, it's really happened over the past, I say, two years. Um, You've reminded me of Wagon Wheel, which was probably the first one we did in this range, which would have been Gab's 2019, I believe. Um, So... Yeah, in the winter months, we bring these out. They've been highly well-received. I think at the moment, it's, it's very craft beer to do these styles of beer. Um, we don't overdo it because we don't release seven new beers a month. I think we get away with having one or two. And we try and be a bit strategic about it. Uh, I'm trying to think this year. Obviously, we've done this one. Uh, the other two that sort of fall into that category currently are the Affogato Stout, which comes... Uh, around annually, which is one of our big annual releases. Um, I'll drop a, a bit of a thing here that that's going to uh, see a imperial version in the coming weeks. Oh, we love our scoops. There's, there's our scoop. The scoop. There's our scoop. Yeah, there's the scoop. So that's uh, that's the double shot Affogato, a 440ml can. Um, we've had that one up our sleeve for a little while, so we figured when we thought lockdown was going to go for the next 12 years, let's just get it out now. Um, but, yeah. We probably wouldn't normally bring it out in the spring. Uh, we would try and stick to winter, but we felt like it was a good time. Uh, and also this year we did the maple porter, um, which was really successful for us too. So we found a real good niche with them. Um, I think because we don't pump out a whole lot of them and the ones that we do are high quality. The one thing that I really ask for, I guess, as a salesperson with the brew team, and I'm very fortunate that I had Brewer Reed, is just of the utmost quality. Um, and then, you know, his offsider, um, Stokey, who's our assistant brewer, is just the biggest beer nerd and just loves beer so much that he just wants it to be perfect as well, is that if we're going to say something tastes a certain way, it has to taste that way. I really hate the concept of a flavoured beer and then you go and drink it and it's like, that doesn't taste like that at all. That that to me is just, it's, it's unacceptable as a consumer. So I really am passionate about that and what I feel we've delivered especially over the past two to three years is when you buy a beer from us, that's going to be flavored, especially in the dessert style, you're going to get what you're asking for or what you're expecting. Um, so, yeah. That's a, that's an excellent and concise answer. And um, I do think back a little bit to uh, when we used to have the Royal Mail and pubs like that. And if you'd have uh, put this beer in front of a whole lot of blokes down there, they would have gone, that's not a beer. 
and then you would have gone to take away. You would have gone to take away the glass from them, and they just gently just ease it back towards them and go. Just because I don't think it's a beer doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it, and I don't think I want to uh, finish it off. So you just take your hands off that, son. <laughs> I think that's that's the beauty of uh, of of beer in so many ways now. And for us, we've we've diversified what our offering is. Like if you go to the brew pub you know, in let's say December when hopefully, you know, restrictions are eased and we can actually move around, you're going to see 16 taps that are completely different to what they were five years ago. You know, as a brand, we were really um, old school and it, it does change with brewers and it's transitioning of times, but we had more old school styles, more English and German and, and things like that. We've now obviously moved to a bit more of a craft style brewery in a lot of ways. Um, but what we're trying to find or what we're trying to do is, have something for everyone. That's that's our real plan on this. Um, I see Corey there saying, please don't lose Hellfire. Hellfire is not going anywhere. Um, we just printed a hell of a lot of cans of it. So um, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it's not going anywhere. Hellfire has actually had a massive resurgence for us. So that's our Amber Ale, um, which, you know, I wouldn't have thought 12 months ago there was a massive market for, but it's, um, it's now become, you know, probably our second highest skew, especially during the winter months as well. So... Um, yeah, it's about the ebbs and flows, I guess, of craft beer at the moment is having something for everyone. Um, you're doing an excellent que- uh, excellent job of reading the questions as they pop up in the Zoom room. <laughs> I'm amused by some of the comments and I'm not going to uh, out <laughs> the person who's just uh, publicly out of themselves in the, in the chat function in the Zoom. Um, that's one of the best reasons why you should be joining us live in the Zoom room rather than listen to the podcast. You've just missed out on it. I, I'm just not going to indulge what's been typed there. <laughs> Don't worry. Your secret is safe, brother. Um, but I was going to ask more or less uh, Corey's question um, to you about the Hellfire because we had that in one of our blind tasting packs recently for those who are mm-hmm. you know, Sunday afternoon blind tasting. It was just so well rated. And um, are, are there beers that you sort of worry about as a in terms of your personal fan beers that – you know, as the style of the brewery changes and, you know, the market changes, do you worry that there might be a couple that you like personally that may not be there forever? Uh, I mean, there's definitely a mindset amongst the team that we don't want to just continue beating a dead horse if it does come to that point. Um, so there's, there's, there's beers that we produce. It probably happens more with limiteds and it's something that we are trying to be very acutely aware of now is that, just because we release a product that does really well, does it need to come back in 12 months? And is it the law of diminishing returns? So, um, you know, we we worked really hard to solidify what we believe is our long-term core range, at least the next five years. Um, you know, you're always going to have a pale, you're always going to have a lager. That just makes sense for a brewery of our size. Um, but Hellfire was a real funny one. Like that was anecdotally sort of on the chopping block, probably from middle of last year. Um, so during the height of lockdown two, um, and somewhat of lockdown one, personally, I was doing uh, home delivery, um, for online orders just to try to keep myself busy during, you know, the height of the, the panic in 2020. And what we found was that Hellfire was online, our second biggest moving skew, which wasn't, which wasn't typical to our retail outlets. Uh, it was still in bottle though. So when we moved it to can, we made the really smart decision of doing that in January in, in the height of summer. So it probably didn't launch at the speed we would have hoped. But then as soon as the weather turned, it's just, it's done a 180 and it's just gone absolutely bonkers. So we do that. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we 
adapt to the core range to take out the Whitby, so um, Razor, which has been around for a long time. It just, the, the market doesn't want anymore. It's a really good quality product. And it's something that we have typically always on tap um, at the venue because it's a, it's a bit of a tap house staple. But there just isn't a market in this country currently for wheat beers. And, you know, we can, we, I think we, we tried for as long as we could to the point where it was like, we just can't keep flogging this because the consumers weren't there. So, um, yeah, we've, we've definitely altered our range to, to suit what we think is relevant to today. Um, but we're not steadfast to say that in five years, we won't have to get rid of one of them. Um, you know, the one thing I can guarantee is as long as I'm at the brewery, MIA will never go anywhere. Um, because it's I almost still one of my ta- favorite beer stories. Yeah, I remember yeah. that very fondly from last I week. I almost flipped the table at the uh, the beer awards in May when we didn't win best IPA. I may have had a lot to drink at that stage, um, <laughs> but uh, nothing enrages me more than anyone telling me that's not the best beer in the world. So <laughs> we are, uh, we're gonna, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that i'm kind of glad when you said it's not going anywhere that that's really good news uh we're going to throw to a few uh zoom room questions and as david has already said tonight uh when you're in the zoom room you get to put your questions in the chat and then ask them uh to the brewers or the guests that we have on each week we are going to throw to shana uh who had a question i'm going to unmute you shana and over to you Just wondering, in terms of a collaboration with Protect Our Winters, and I apologise, we haven't been discussing that beer directly tonight, but how does that kind of collaboration come about, especially with them being quite niche? So, yeah, this is um, something that definitely we've done a lot more of in 2021 on a larger scale. So from where we are in Bright um, and who we are in Bright, so we're actually the in the town of Bright, the largest employer, um, and with that, we try and actually um, support as much as we can. So we source as much of our product locally within 100 kilometres we can. Obviously, there's only so much you can do. But with that, we sponsor a lot of events, um, a lot of charities, a lot of fundraisers and things like that. POW, or Protect Our Winters, is a climate change um, activist group, basically, that's multinational, uh, has different chapters everywhere. The chapter president for... Australia is actually based up, I think, on Mount Hotham. And I believe it was last year they approached us about, hey, would you guys be interested in maybe doing an event with this? Um, and it was very, you know, I think the boss had gone for a ski, met the guy, let's let's have a beer and let's figure something out. And then the conversation sort of filtered back to myself and the marketing team. And what we believe in is a brewery sustainability. You know, we put a lot of effort into it and we've got a lot of sustainability initiatives from the brew house to the kitchen to sort of a wider thing around Pactex, which I can see are just plentiful behind David in his house currently. Um, and when it came to POW, we actually approached them and said, listen, let's make a beer together. Let's do something where um, we can support you. This is something that we believe in. You know, we a lot of our staff disappear for the winter and just go up the mountains. Um, so there's always a bright contingency on the mountains anyway, but snowboarding and skiing and just winter in general and the snow is a massive part of our identity. So something we take a lot of pride in. We went to POW and said, listen, let's make something for you. Let's give proceeds directly to you. Um, what we see is a sort of a long-term collaboration with them as well. So we're constantly investing with them. Um, we've done the beer. We actually did a merch range with Yuki Threads, who are um, a real sort of cool niche um, winter sports brand as well. 
So this is this is one of the ones we've done this year. We also did a product uh, with the RSPCA called Doggo Brow. Um, so we try and, I guess, give back where we can. We're really fortunate in our position as a business that we can do that. Um, but we want to link them a lot to our beliefs. Um, so yeah, that's that's how Power came about. Sorry, that's amazing. I I honestly thought you would have reached out to them, but um, in in my dream world, you were just flying around with um, with people in the Red Bull chopper, and it kind of is, <laughs> which is really cool. Yeah, uh, no, it's 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 awesome to be able to jump on stuff like that, and for us to uh, to jump on a meaningful thing. You know, all of our staff. If you go to Bright, you'll see they're all wearing Power merch. They all spread the Power message. So yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, probably one of the best audience questions and answers we've had uh, <laughs> in the call room, I think. Um, we're we're going to throw to Jacob in a second, but before we do, I'm curious on something you said there. You're the biggest employer in Bright. Mm-hmm. Does that, given, you know, it's a regional town and it's very different to what we we have to deal with in Melbourne and that sort of thing, does that come with a bit of pressure? Does that... Uh, yeah, I mean, if we're just talking about the past two years, um, it's 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 been a real hard trot. Our our base of we obviously we bulk up staff in the summer because that's our peak months, and so when I say that, that's a lot of um, it's a lot of sixteen to sort of twenty year olds who are looking for sixteen to you know twenty five hours work a week, work in the restaurant, work in the bar, doing things like that. Um, but then in saying that, we have you know a full full-time kitchen team. We have a full-time venue team. In terms of hospitality, I've never seen a company that's um, probably as willing to put a, someone on a full-time contract and support. So it's a real big thing for us. We also write into a lot of our contracts for our hospital staff that in the quiet months, they can go up the mountain and work for you know three to five months in different venues um, and then come back to us later on. So their position will be secured in the summer months, but they can still go and enjoy what their passion is, which is the winter. Um, and is the snow uh, but then we have a big admin team production team logistics um i guess over the past you know 18 months it's been a it's been a real balancing act um for us we've done everything we can in our power to stay open to keep people working um you know i'll, I'll put my hand up now and say that i love this brewery and i love this business a lot of ways and um i'm really fortunate that our owner scott has really taken it on himself to fly the flag for bright um so whenever lockdowns come and, and restrictions come we always find a way to pivot in the town to keep our employees working to keep an offering going we do everything we can not to shut the doors and just wait it out um and that's a big thing for us he really you know we really care about our staff and um trying to give back to the town it's i i, I joke with scott more often that he's more interested in building the town of bright than he is the business of bright brewery um <laughs> Cause he cares about everyone else and he puts so much effort in everybody else and all the other businesses. Um, and then it's like, Hey, we're over here. Like what's going on. <laughs> That's it's an amazing thing to do when you're in a regional town is to put that much into the back, back into the town. And and it sounds like, you know, you guys are really passionate about uh, where, where you're situated and, and yeah. sort of supporting that, that town and community, which is, you know, a, there's, there needs to be more of that in the world at the moment, which is really good to see. Um, we, we're going to throw to Jacob who had a question and then we've got a question from Matt uh, and then we'll wrap things up. Jacob, if you unmute yourself, there we no are. Worries. Go Can you away, hear me okay? Yep. yep. Great. Um, yeah, I'll just, well, I've got the microphone. I'll just make a quick comment. Um, after our 
big lockdown last year. The first beer I had on tap coming out of that 100-day-plus lockdown was your Missing in Action IPA, and I think a beer's oh, never awesome. tasted so good in my life. <laughs> so just freshly poured. Oh, man, that was great. Uh, and also a shout-out to your uh, Northeast uh, IPA. Oh, yeah. That, that was really, I really like that, all the various bush adjuncts and so forth. So oh, keep, keep up the good work on that one. But my question is actually really simple, and that's... Um, uh, do, why don't you kind of list all your ingredients on your cans? I know you pick out certain flavours and adjuncts, but there's never usually quite the exhaustive list that some of us beer nerds love to see or the hot types and whatnot. Uh, I mean, it's probably just coming down to design more often than not and space. Um, so we, we've gone through a big transition in terms of the visual identity of the brewery. I think if you sort of would go back to even as uh, early as, you know, January to March of 2020, we had a very different visual identity to what we do now. So with that, we've been trying to find ourselves in a lot of ways. So I don't know if Clint's ever going to turn back up on this or he's too busy taking over the world and on his Zoom chats. Um, but what we tried to do is create uh, a bit of a typeface for what our brand looks like. Um, so with that, it comes... Where are we going to put this? Where are we going to put this? You'll see a lot of differentiation in the past 12 months of just the layout of the cans. Um, then there's also, I guess, the biggest challenge for a brewery is uh, brewers like to keep secrets. Um, so they don't always tell marketing what they're putting in there. But we have to also normally have our labels designed anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks out um, to make sure we can get them designed, printed, and there in time for packaging. So creates a bit of difficulty on that end to say, the brewers might make a, a pivot to get a flavor profile in and we might put something different. You know, we've got a beer coming out in, I think next week, which is a passion fruit pale ale. Um, and we got to the end of ferment and the guys were dry hopping it and they said, does it taste passion fruity enough? So they went and they got actual passion fruit juice and they sort of put it back in. But that was a decision that was made at the end of the brew cycle where we wouldn't have had time to change that label. So it creates a bit of difficulty there to say, oh, this is all the ingredients because it might not be. I think that's that's the big challenge and it's, it's hard for consumers, I, I, I get as well, because you're not going to get the full breadth of what it is. Um, but typically what we try and do is, you know, make the information available. It's probably been a bit harder because we've just been producing so many beers recently for our marketing team to keep up. But that would be, yeah, the long and the short of it. Right, thank you for that. And also I'm looking forward to that passion fruit beer. I love those. Mm. Great, great question, Jacob. We are going to... Uh, take an unmute, Matt. If you're there, Matt, uh, feel free to unmute yourself and ask away. Hey, Evan. Uh, yeah, just wondering whether you have much of a relationship with any of the wineries up in the region that way at the moment, and whether you'd consider doing a collab with uh, someone's grapes and the beers kind of thing. Yeah, so it's, um. Where we're situated, I guess, probably our closest to wineries would be Feathertop Winery um, as you come in, which I don't know if anyone's ever done the Great Alpine Road coming to the Bright. It's that amazing building on the left-hand side as you sort of come in through Paul Punker. Um, it's one of the most beautiful wineries just visually you'll see from at the front. And then a little bit further up the road, you've got Ring of Reef, which is a small family-owned winery, which has been there for a while. Um it's something that uh, I don't think we're opposed to. We've used some barrels um, from some of the wineries before. I think probably smoke taint has been a bit of an issue over the past couple of years, so we, we haven't looked at it. Um, but, yeah, there's, you know, we do we buy wine from those guys. 
they buy beer from us. It's a very sort of cohabitive relationship. Um, probably just comes down to the idea and the right timing and something that makes sense. Um, you know, the Reading Co product came about because, you know, we spent a lot of time with Reading Co. We know Hamish and Melissa quite well who um, own the place um, and a product was right for that time. So I definitely say eventually we'll do it. It just has to be, you know, the right idea has to pop up, I guess. Before we wrap things up, uh, it was brought up in the Zoom chat as well. Uh, your Darker Days Festival up there was cancelled for 2021. Um, yes. Uh, still happening next year, 2022. Can we expect it to still go ahead? 100%. Uh, so we obviously cancelled 2020 as well. Um, and then with the when 2020 was cancelled, we made a really conscious decision that we wanted to bring the festival back no matter what, um, but in a bigger, more full-on way. So this year, I, it's probably the biggest sadness, I guess, of lockdowns this year. We we got within forty-eight hours of the of it happening, um, yeah. which is crazy now to think about. Um, all the marquees are up, everything was ready to go. I was at the brewery, just we all kind of cried together collectively um, when the news came in. But what we wanted to do was take it from. Um, you know, a, a small winter festival that highlighted beer and local producers and then turn it into a weekend that produced that just was all about beer and music and festivities. And, you know, we were bringing in some really um, big named artists and uh, we were making it Friday through Sunday where it used to just be a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, we pivoted three times. It was actually we, we'd hoped we were going to be able to hold it in about two weeks, which obviously isn't going to happen now either. So we did all we could to hold on for as long as we could. Um, <laughs> it'll definitely come back next year. I dare say that if, you know, we, we couldn't do it last year, we decided to double down this year and we can't do it this year, we'll double down again. Um, so I'd expect some really big things to happen next year. Uh, that's that's awesome to, to hear that uh, it's not going to just uh, fall away and you've still got plans uh, to make that happen. David, I feel like potentially 2022 call room visit to Darker Days Fest to do an episode. 100%. Live. That sounds amazing. I, I live, festival like the sa- live podcast uh, session on the stage will make it happen. 100%. And if you need staging, Evan, you can look me up and I can help you out with that as well. Perfect. No, see how I got a little plug in there? That was really cool. <laughs> how good was, was really that, Trav? Nice work. Um, we are, we're going to wrap things up for tonight. Obviously, and we say this every week, if you're in the Zoom room, you can sit around and have a drink with everyone and have a bit of a chat, uh, talk about the beers and the other beers that are in the pack that we didn't get to talk about tonight. Uh, David mentioned a bunch of cool room events we've got coming up um, over the next sort of month or so. Um, we have trivia coming back on the 2nd of October. So check out the Facebook page, all the information's there and uh, you can put your teams together again. Um, hopefully the same team doesn't win a second time round. It'd be better <laughs> if like, you know, another team won that, but we'll see how we go on that front. Uh, there's a bunch of hands going up in the core in the zoom room. It's um, disturbing to say the least. Evan. I'm hearing, I'm seeing questions on, uh, I'll jump in, sorry, on mystery beer. Um, oh, yes. I, think I've seen, I think I've seen three of them so far. So Mystery Beer 4.0 will exist this year. Um, Ooh, so we are currently in the uh, the stages of getting that organised. So, what, yes. Can we uh, ask what hops you're buying, what grains you're buying? And, uh, well, I, maybe how much time you've set aside in the fermenters? Ironically, I called the brewer uh, this afternoon before this to, um, to ask on, you know, 
what he expected the cost of the, the brew to be. And he went, ha, and just laughed at me. And then that was all I got. <laughs> so um, we, we are very literal when we say that no one except the brew team knows what it is. No one ever believes when I say that, but I'm telling you right now, it's the greatest stitch up in sales and marketing history to pitch a product you have no idea about and then be forced to sell it. Um, but yes, Mystery 4 will happen. I think the release is end of November, early December. Um, our socials will have stuff about it. So, That's, Can you uh, quickly run us through the, the previous uh, Mystery Beers because someone in the Zoom room is asking, uh, Beck, um, what, were the, what were the previous ones? Oh, so Mystery 1... Now, so mystery one uh, was uh, Sticker beer, which oh, that's right. Is, yes. Yeah, so German alt beer was probably the best way. I think it translated to secret beer or something. Um, mystery beer two was a. Which I think we had in the pack last year. Yeah, we did. Possibly, yeah. 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 So that was the Belgian pale with lemongrass. Yeah. And then we did oh, a mis- we did a mystery beer three, and that was part of uh, Carwin Sellers Canvent calendar. Um, sorry, David, for promoting somebody else on the podcast. Um, we, we are very good friends with the people. They're our friends, yeah. Good, yeah. good. Uh, and that was, gosh, that's got a weird name. Uh, I can't remember. It was basically the original hazy beer, but it's from like a 1950s recipe in Europe um, and it tastes nothing like a juicy IPA, but it looks just like one. Um, and our brewer said it was the most obscure product that he um, he thought he could make, and it was the only one that people guessed multiple times. So <laughs> he was really devastated when people actually figured out that mystery. That's amazing. Uh, I think the the, the blind, uh, sorry, the the mystery beer is a really cool cool thing to do, and I'm glad you you guys are still doing it. Um, Evan, we're going to wrap things up on the record. Uh, stick around, have a drink with everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, a year or so later, whatever it's been. I think it's um, been a year, yeah. Hopefully uh, hopefully the COVID stuff goes well for you and you can boost your numbers soon and uh, we can all get up there and see you guys. Uh, thank you Looking very much for joining us. Cheers.